Welcome back to Three Opinions. Uh, my name is Elan. And my name is Ethan, and you may notice there are only two of us. Yeah, that's true. We have <laughs> at least we have many opinions between the two of us. And uh, today we're <laughs> going to talk about the American election, Donald Trump, what it's like to, to live in these crazy times in the United States, and sure. other related matters. So I think, Ethan, you should, you should take the lead here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what, what it's like in, you know, where you live in, uh, in D.C., in Washington, D.C.? So, so first of all, I think I want to say that in, in thinking about this podcast, we've been waiting for sort of the right moment before the election to, to do this. Wait until my, you know, I, I was the most anxious and the most sort of neurotic about it all. Um, and, and the funny thing is, actually, in the past week or two, I've gotten less so. And a lot of that has to do just sort of with the overall numbers I'm hearing um, and the zeitgeist here. Um, but that said, there's so many unknowns. And it's if I actually let myself think about it and sort of take myself out of my subjective way of viewing things, you know, there's plenty to worry about. Um, and so, but let's let's stick with the subjective for a minute here, right? Uh, so here's where I am. Uh, I live uh, just outside of Washington, D.C. Um, in, a, in an older suburb that's been, you know, I've had family that have lived in this part of, of, of town for 50, 60 years. And it's a, you know, it's an established place with a lot of knowledge economy folks, a lot of government workers, um, professionals. Uh, most people have, you know, greater than a, than a university degree or bachelor's degree, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's, you know, it's sort of the, the archetype liberal, uh, bubble. Uh, and, you know, of course, there are many, many bubbles out there, and this is mine. Um, and, you know, everybody you meet is sort of a, you know, it's an article of faith, essentially, that they're, uh, they're going to have a progressive way of viewing things. And there's differences within that. But um, you, you can pretty much say to anybody like, oh, Trump, are you kidding me? And, and they will almost always respond, oh, I know, you know, or something similar. And, and it, it's it's strange to feel safe to have, you know, in, in expressing those opinions so freely and openly. And I, I think that maybe that's become a lot more commonplace for everybody, right? Uh, I'm sure that the, you know, if I was, uh, I don't know, let, let's say Missouri somewhere, uh, and I spoke to my neighbor and said, oh, Biden, are you kidding me? You know, they would say, yeah, this is, this is crazy. How could anybody not vote for, for our guy? And, and it's a, uh, there's just this feeling of like, however much you know, however much um, you hear from from people, whatever you think the conventional wisdom is, you just can't know. You can't know. It's like there's, it's almost like you're walled in by your own, by, by, by your own demographic, by your own belief system that is just reinforced and getting out of it is very, very difficult. Um, uh, with that said, it's heartening to look at, you know, the polling. Uh, Obviously, I, it's clear what side of this I'm on and, and how important it, it feels to me that uh, the outcome goes my way. Um, so much so that, you know, I, I'm really thinking big about, you know, existentially, do I want to be here? You know, I'm somebody, I'm from Washington, D.C. I've been involved in government my, my whole life in different ways. And, uh, and I, I, you know, I, I believe, at least in some way, you know, in the value of my country and, and what it's, what it's been for my family and for my community. Um, and I'm actually at this point now where it's like, if things don't go my way, is this something I want to continue to be a part of? Um, and that's a, 
you know, I never, I, I never thought it was, it, it would get to, to that. I mean, I always thought there'd be disagreements. Some of, some of them really, you know, pretty, pretty heartfelt, but, uh, but this is like, this is like a next level thing. And I think a lot of people are feeling that way. Um, you know, that this is an existential moment and, you know, my side of things is far less likely to sort of take up arms and, you know, uh, uh, want to start a revolution, at least right now. Uh, my side of things is far more likely to, to you know, look into Canadian visas. Uh, and the other side of things sees these, sees the situation in much the same dire light, right? Um, but I don't think they have a mindset that they could go somewhere else or they should go somewhere else. Their, their mindset is that this is their home and if things aren't going the way that it's going right, you know, they have to take it up and, 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 and fight for it. Um, and it, it's sort of like, well, where else would you go? How else, you know, where else would you feel like you could be more yourself than, than in America if you're, if you're one of these red-blooded American guys, right? Or where are you going to go? Somalia? I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, it's hard to picture. Um, and so, you know, there's this feeling of like, okay, let's assume, you know, the numbers are telling the truth and there's going to be a landslide in a couple of weeks. What are these guys going to do? And how much should I care? You know? Um, I, I don't see anything organized beyond, you know, the sort of five guys with guns scenarios. Um, you know, I don't see any, any aspect of the military stepping in on this, um, and saying, you know, actually we, we believe that Trump is supposed to be the president here and, and we're going to enforce that, uh, in large part because he's done a lot to alienate the military and, and that's, a group I've been working with pretty extensively in my professional life recently. And I sort of have a taste of that and how they think about things. Um, you know, as far as other institutions, the courts are sort of a wild card these days for obvious reasons. Um, Congress and government itself, you know, I get a feeling like a lot of people in government, uh, on the political side of government, as opposed to the administrative, which is really what most of it is, but the political guys, are all exhausted by this. Um, I, I know some some Republican staffers um, who work on Capitol Hill, and and that that is the feeling you get from them above all is just how exhausting this has been. Um, how defending you know the crap coming out on Twitter every day is just just so tedious and, and so so not what they signed up for. And you know I sit there saying like schmuck, why are you still doing this, right? <laughs> and I can't answer that question very very readily. Uh, but, but I do get the feeling from them, like, you know, in some ways they'd be relieved by a defeat, um, which, which, you know, which leaves the dead enders, you know, it leaves the people who are simply being spoon fed, whatever, whatever it is they hear on Twitter and QAnon and all the stuff that I don't even understand. Um, and I do think that there will be some pockets of violence, uh, and this is all assuming things go the way I want them to go. Um, it, I mean, I don't know what to say. You know, I, I can talk about uh, how I, what, what I'm following closely in terms of the election itself and sort of what are, what are my benchmarks for, you know, how things are going. Um, well, let, let's pause it for a minute. And I'll, I've got a couple of questions based on what you just said. Following up uh, on, what, on what you just said, I think there's a, a few points that, be interesting to to pursue. I mean, I think people often forget that the the, the Washington D.C. area is is you know a liberal area. It's not a, it's not a Republican area. 
and you know it's probably just worth mentioning yeah. that for those who you know, who aren't familiar with with the, you know the, the political demographics of that area. I think there was there's three things in particular that you mentioned, which you know I, I kind of want to pick up on. I mean, one is the the existential uh, point about you know what does actually you know to, what does this mean and the the idea of maybe I want to jump ship. You know, maybe this is not a you know a place you know a, a, that I'm you know comfortable remaining. Uh, the second point I think I'd like to, which we, which, which I think I'd like to follow up on, is the violence question, and then the third one would be uh, the engagements that uh, I guess you've had with Republicans who, you know, seem to be sick of it, but I mean they're complicit in it as well, and I, I yes. think it'd be interesting to to hear more about your thoughts on that. So why don't we start with the existential, and you know what is it that's really made the the current situation uh, so extreme that you felt maybe I don't want to live here anymore? Well, first of all, I think it's important to just say that uh, my, my family has been in the United States for 120 years at this point, um, a little bit more depending on what branch you're talking about. Uh, my wife's family has been here since before the American Revolution. Um, and I think for both of us, uh, we don't feel in any way like we have anywhere else. Uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, I'm, I'm of Irish heritage or I'm of Italian heritage or, uh, or you know, I'm a, I can go to Israel for that matter, right? Uh, I, don't, I don't feel any of those things. I, I mean, it's my identity very much feels caught up in being here. And so the question is, well, what is here? <laughs> um, and... You know, if, if I start to feel like um, the will of people that I just fundamentally disagree with are taking over the country in a long-term sense uh, and usurping power in ways that, uh, you know, don't comport with my understanding of democracy, at some point, I, I, I you know, all of those things that, uh, that are weighing the other way on the scale start to start to look a little lighter. Um, and the idea of, of you know, of pulling up stakes and, and, you know, hopping borders, going to Canada or somewhere else for that matter. Uh, we've also talked Latin America, um, you know, becomes a real thing. And I think a lot of people are feeling that way. The question is, is this, is this my America? You know, is this everything I was raised to believe? I think though, um, looking at it from the outside, right? Uh, I mean, what is, what is, it, what is this idea of my America? And has it ever really existed? No. No, it hasn't really ever existed, um, but it used to be a better place for immigrants. Uh, it used to be a place pretty recently that was, uh, you know, working actively towards improving itself in some basic ways. Um, it used to be a place that engaged with the rest of the world um, far more directly and, and with far less sort of uh, overt aggression, uh, you know, at every decision point. Uh, I think that last I, yeah, point is I, I mean, probably I, I, debatable, but we'll... I see Elon kind of rolling his eyes, right? Yeah, I think we'll skip over the last one. I'm not so sure if... It's, uh, all this is debatable, it, right? Yeah. I mean, but, but the point is that, like, however much that was true, it just, it feels a whole lot less true now. Right. Um, and maybe, maybe some people would say, well, this is actually the base truth. This is what it is. Um, but then all I can say is that, well, this myth I believed in has sort of gone up in smoke, right? But I think um, that's really important. I mean, I, okay, so yeah, I was sort of rolling my eyes, but I, I mean, I don't mean to, to, to dismiss any of this. I think the idea, you know, we all have ideas of what it, you know, what the places that we live in mean, 
and when those ideas become challenged in, in a way that kind of uh, shatters them, mm -hmm. it can be very, very traumatic. And I think that, uh, you know, as, as an outsider, right, what I see with the, with what's happened with Trump has, has been in a way the, you know, a lot of the underlining uh, violence in America finding an outlet. And so if, to, to me, a yes. lot of it has kind of, is either been there overtly or latently and he's uh, been, and he's just opened, you know, the doors, opened the gates to that. And it's now just kind of come out. And I mean, you know, the, most countries have a lot of problems with uh, most, most countries I don't think have very progressive immigration policies, but also most democracies don't set, put them into concentration camps and separate parents from their kids. Like, you know, this administration has been doing certainly not, you know, most right. countries do that, you know, and it, uh, in a way I, that the United States is doing it right now. I'm, I'm the last person who's going to buy by that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, one of the things that I've thought often about Trump is that he, he brings out the worst instincts in people. Um, you know, the people who, who want those things or who support those things when they're, when they're presented, uh, you know, are, are in other circumstances, you know, they, they have those feelings, they have those beliefs. Uh, but society in a greater sense sort of has an immune system that keeps it in check to some extent, right? It's not acted upon. Um, you know, many, many, many people have racist beliefs, um, but they only really start acting on them when they have permission from somebody who they respect. Um, and, you know, I, I'm afraid that that's, that we're not gonna be able to kind of put some of those things back in the bottle. Um, yeah. and, I, and I do believe that, you know, in a broad general sense, this country is probably less racist than it was when I was a kid, uh, in, large, in large part because there's simply a greater number of you know of, of minorities and you know it's just um but that doesn't change that you know people who have tremendous amounts of power also have those racist beliefs um and have been conditioned over the past few years to just be open about it and, and to accept that that is how the world is supposed to be that you know it's the chinese virus it's the mexicans coming over the border it's all this stuff it's all these search for an enemy at every, at every juncture. Um, you know, everybody has sort of natural enemies in the world, but the question is, how do you deal with it? Uh, and most people take cues from leadership. And, you know, if this, if this form of leadership continues here, it's just going to keep exacerbating these, these really, you know, nasty tendencies that are in a lot of people's hearts. And what do you I think it means? Sorry, what do you think it means so that, he, yeah, he got elected, right? I mean, a lot of people voted for him. And all of this was on display yes. when he was running the first and that's, time. That's all, that, that's all the shock of it. I mean, you know, I was sitting here saying, how could anybody vote for this guy? You know, I just can't understand it in, in such a basic way. And it turns out that there are a lot of people that were nodding along and agreeing with this in, in ways that I found shocking because they, 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 they repressed those beliefs under, under earlier sorts of moral permission structures, right? Um, and, and now, you know, there's still, you know, 40 odd percent of the, of the country supports him and whether that translates to a win or not is, is, is an unknown. Um, but there are plenty of people for whom these things that I consider absolute faults are, are virtues. Um, and what does that mean? Yeah, it means that this stuff is present and it always has been to some extent. You know, when I was a kid, I was raised, I was raised in Washington, D.C. It was a primarily black city. Uh, the public school education that I received 
was taught by black people. And the, the story that we, we were told was sort of in the shadow of the Civil Rights Act and Civil Rights Movement. My parents were involved in it. And the whole idea was that things were awful way back when uh, black people had to use different bathrooms, et cetera. And, and, and a lot of that is gone now. And we're working towards making it better. And you know, this is the truth is that that was bad. This is good. We need to make things better than this. And now it's, that was bad. This is bad. We want to at least make them so they don't get worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, mean, I, felt this, I, I sort of felt the same way with, with the, with what happened in the UK around the referendum. And sure. to me, there is, you know, there was this, this narrative that co that mer that's very similar to when you're, you know, you just articulated about how we've, we grew up with this idea that okay there's a lot of problems in the world but we are trying to improve our lot in the world you know collectively you know we're trying to make our communities and our societies better and mm -hmm. you know that idea of, of progress didn't mean that it was always linear right it would it's not as if it was just a straight line and and you know for all the injustices that that went on there was still you know some kind of i guess hope or that you know, by and large, you know, the communities we lived in shared some idea of, 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 of trying to make this, this place better and, and better would usually mean considering how you treat the weakest in your communities, right? You know, the, the values that you have when, you know, with people who are suffering from adversity and, uh, you know, the kind of base denominator of what you would, you know, what, what kind of, uh, you know, living standards people should have. And okay, there'll be debates around these things, but still there was that idea of, you know, wanting to kind of improve, uh, you know, our societies. And to me, the election of Trump and the referendum in the UK and, uh, you know, other related populist measures in, in other parts of the democratic world, Brazil is another example mm -hmm. here, but also Israel, uh, Hungary, certain elements in Austria. Uh, and, it's you know, certainly a global phenomenon. Yeah, there's a global element here, and it's often described as populist. But, but to, you know, to me, what I see is the sort of rejection of this idea of, of, I think, what you know, I guess you and I think of as progress. And I just, and that that was largely what animated me to write my book about post-truth politics. But yeah. I guess what I, I guess what, what, I, what I find interesting is, do you, do you feel that in, in the United States right now that there's a sufficient enough reaction to seeing what, you know, the, the genie that they was unleashed with Trump and just saying, okay, whoa, we, we've gone too far. And, you know, this is, this is not what we, we signed up for when we voted this guy. I mean, do you feel that there is that, that, you know, those who actually voted for him are, you know, coming to that kind of conclusion or, and, and I guess this speaks a little bit to, the point you made about Republicans who are, you know, sick of it, but are, you know, so complicit in it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, most people go with the flow and I think that that is some of what, what we've seen. Right. And so if the flow changes, they go along with it, especially in politics. Um, and, you know, if, if the truth is, you know, you asked me, do, do I feel, do I feel like there's a, you know, a, sort of a sufficient counter reaction to all of this? Um, and I have to say yes, I have to for my own psychological health. I mean, I just, I simply have to. Um, and so from there, I, I think I can come up with all sorts of rationalizations for why I believe that. Uh, and so it's like, you know, I start, I start like not even trusting my own ability to reason through all of this uh, because I know just how important it is for me to believe that. Um, but yes, I do believe it. Uh, and I believe it you know, I, I believe that there are a lot of people who are essentially irredeemable, you know, in the present context. And, you know, that's fine if, if they don't really have power. 
because I think eventually, you know, it, it, given a sort of sufficient uh, beatdown, as it were, uh, th those beliefs will, will morph into other things, uh, and they'll be latent nastiness, and 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 some of these things will continue, but it's not not at the scale that it is now. Um, and I do think that you know the way Trump won in 2016 was a combination of a few things. It was uh, first of all, Hillary Clinton was a terrible candidate. Um, I certainly voted for her enthusiastically. Um, and when I look at her from a policy point of view and sort of a ability to run the, you know, the, the giant uh, aircraft carrier of, of the United States government, you know, turn it three degrees to the left or whatever, um, she, she seemed like she could do all those things. Um, but the level of hatred she brought out in people, and I don't know, I mean, some of it I get, some of it I'm just like, this is nuts. Um, it just, it, you cannot understate that. Uh, and that is simply not present now. Uh, the second thing that was different then was that Trump, for all I knew about him, he was an unknown to a lot of people. And all they knew about him was from this TV show where he played this, you know, sort of executive that signed off on, on different people's business ideas and looked like he was important and knew what he was doing. Um, from my perspective, I mean, I, I grew up, I had family in New York and my grandfather was uh, somebody who, you know, he was in stocks and he, he read the Wall Street Journal every day. And, and he, if there's one thing I ever heard him get upset about, um, one thing I ever heard him use a, a bad word towards, it was Donald Trump. <laughs> I mean, I remember this back 10, 15 years ago. I just remember that son of a bitch. Oh uh, yeah, you know, you know, just going on and on about him in this New York way. What a crook, you know. And and so like I I, I knew that about him forever. And I was like, how could anybody not see this, right? But people didn't. And I think at least some people now have said, well, yeah, I voted for him because I couldn't stand Hillary. And I thought, well, who knows? Maybe this guy knows something I don't. Um, and now they, they, at least some of those people have come around. Um, you know, and the third thing that's different now, well, well, first of all, going back to 2016, you know, the, I think that the foreign interference that took place is something that we still don't understand. And I think that we're gonna find the same to be true with the Brexit vote. Um, simply, you know, interests that are in power now have no interest in letting the truth be known about all those things. Um, and I think that we're going to find that to be true around some of the COVID stuff too, um, just around, you know, stoking people's belief systems in such ways to, you know, to, to have them you know, get mad about wearing a mask, for example, or, you know, it seems like a pretty easy target for an intelligence operation. So anyway, those are sort of three things that I think were more present then, or at least we were we were more naive to them then. Um, and looking at it now, I mean, you know, Joe Biden is, he's a lot of things. Uh, he's somebody, my mother lives in Delaware um, and has dealt with the state government there and has known the Bidens for a long time, you know, in sort of distant ways. And, you know, the, the thing about him is he, he is actually like a decent person, <laughs> like in, in, in such a fundamental way. And that, you know, you could say, well, who cares? You know, he's in charge, he's head of state. Uh, but I think that that really matters and I think it resonates and it's, he's certainly hard to hate um, at a very bare minimum. Uh, you don't get any sense from anybody of hating him. It's just, well, I'm not going to vote for him because I like my guy. Um, and, and so, you know, in those ways, it feels different. Uh, you know, it, it, towards the end of the 2016 election, we were watching the polls get closer and closer and it felt like Hillary's still going to win. It's going to be an ugly win. 
she's not going to get any of the other levers of government that she would need to really do all the things. But heck, at least she won't be Donald Trump, right? Um, and that's just so different feeling now. And, you know, the thing that scares me the most now is simply the, the deus ex machina, right? It's the, it's, <laughs> it's the meteor coming from the sky and, and, and destroying everything, right? When it was all going just how you wanted, right? Maybe Russia does have something up their sleeves. Uh, you know, maybe maybe all this stuff with voting chicanery is going to make a difference. Maybe the litigation over what happens in Pennsylvania on November 3rd will make some kind of a, you know, push something over the line somehow. Uh, you know, it's all so flimsy and so dependent on so many things. Um, but I don't really think it's it's public opinion that scares me in the same way. It's interesting what you said about the, you know, the disinformation campaigns and uh, through social media. And I think one of the things that was became really apparent with both both Brexit and the election of Trump is the the, the weaponization of, of social media in a way that I guess a lot of us hadn't anticipated. And mm-hmm. you know, there's this there's a fairly long-standing idea in uh, political theory that the rise of democracy was accompanied with the development of the printing press. And that kind of got extrapolated mm-hmm. to this, you know, kind of modern idea, which you really see, I think, within, you know, in, in some of the, the rhetoric that comes out of Silicon Valley about how bringing more people together and sharing more information is just an inherent good. And, you know, there's something inherently yes, yeah. not just good about it, but also democratic about it. And I think what we're, what we're seeing that is- That was well, the gospel. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think that's just, I think what we've seen is that's just not true. And, you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, I, I think you're right. We probably won't know uh, unless you really start to look for it, you know, the full extent of, you know, of how, uh, I guess, different, uh, you know, international or, or quote unquote foreign agents, you know, were, were involved in, you know, in the election uh, and to an extent, I guess, also in the, with the referendum in the UK. But, uh, you know, I think we know that, you know, that they were involved. And I think we also know that, you know, they probably had some kind of effect. And I remember after the election talking to some of my, you know, poly political science colleagues who, you know, actually research American politics and, you know, I, I don't, but, and, you know, there was, there was debate over whether or not they thought, you know, those sort of, that form of interference actually, you know, would have made a significant difference or not. And part of that has to do with the, the way in which, you know, the president is elected through the electoral college. And, sure. you know, the, and, and, and that makes the polls additionally, potentially harder uh, I guess for some of us to read because you know you're you are having to figure out how those translate into you know electoral college votes. Yeah, and I think we should go into that a little bit, sort of towards the end of this, to to help people process that. Maybe. Um, well, why why, why don't you but, do it now? Okay. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, you know, the last point I wanted to make though about the intelligence thing is I just I look at it as a simple return on investment. I mean, look, you can spend a million dollars million pounds, I don't care, a million rubles, probably 50 million rubles. But anyway, uh, you know, you, you can set up uh, a, a, couple of, a couple of kids who speak good English in an office park, you know, give them all the Marlboros and, 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 and Coca-Cola that they could ask for, which all sounds kind of post-Cold War dated, but <laughs> you know, what I, you get what I'm saying. 
And you could say, just go on Twitter and just, just start, a, start a ruckus. Here are, you know, five, five issues that we've determined to be, you know, sort of major fault points in, in the way people were thinking. It just strikes me as so easy, um, especially compared to what intelligence or what, you know, a military intervention costs. It's just so cheap and so easy. Um, and, you know, it's taking this thing that we have considered, a, you know, a, one of the greatest freedoms and, the, you know, greatest authors of, you know, modern democratic life um, and, and turning it on its head. Uh, I, I get, I, I can see exactly, you know, how, how alluring that would be to somebody, you know, in the, uh, in the FSB in, <laughs> in Moscow. But uh, so, so, okay, let's get to the mechanics though of this election right now, right? So here, here's the basics. Um, our founders and their infinite wisdom came up with this system uh, the Electoral College. The Electoral College uh, essentially gives a, a, a slate of electors. So these are people who are just sort of uh, through different channels, they end up having a vote essentially for who becomes president. Um, as it stands right now, uh, well, they're divided up by how many, how many seats there are uh, in the House of Representatives uh, for each state and uh, some other factors. I can't even keep track of, of all of it. Uh, but the point is that, you know, it's supposed to be proportional somewhat to population. Uh, it's not exactly. Most states issue their electors uh, in a winner-takes-all manner. Uh, there are 538 of them across the country. In order to win, uh, a candidate needs 270, so half. Um, and so it's all a race to get 270 electors. It's not um, a popular vote. You know, I, I can look at the polls today and see Biden is 52% to Trump, 42, 41.5. Um, that, that just doesn't matter. That's at very best sort of a proxy for what matters. So what the way it actually works in practice is that states like California that always go Democratic and states, at least until recently, like Texas, that seem to always uh, go Republican. They didn't always, but that's been sort of the status quo for the past few decades. Um, have a whole lot of electoral votes because they have a whole lot of people. And if you win that state, um, you know, in terms of a popular vote, all of those electoral votes go to your guy. Um, and so most of the country doesn't even freaking matter. You know, I live in Maryland. Maryland has, I don't know, 15 votes or something like that. Uh, Maryland is gonna go in terms of the popular vote here, something like 66, 33 for Biden. Um, and none of that matters. So I go to the polls, I do it on principle because I, it, you know, there, there's, there isn't really a practical reason. It's not a close thing. It ends up being close in a handful of states. Um, and those states this time around are in the upper Midwest. So you have uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, um, and Pennsylvania are sort of the ones that are, that are big moving targets right now. Uh, and then in, 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 in the South, you have Florida, um, and then Arizona has also emerged as a big one. Um, and so, you know, you end up looking at the polls for a handful of states and saying, well, is this the tipping point? Does this get my guy over 270? And right now, if you just run all the scenarios, um, you'll see, you know, a hundred different possible permutations wherein, wherein Biden, you know, can cobble together 270 or greater. Uh, and then you see maybe 10 <laughs> scenarios where Trump can, and they, they seem kind of far-fetched. Uh, and so that's how you have to look at it. I mean, every time I look at this, I go to a handful of websites that sort of have a, you know, a map of the United States, colored blue and red, 
for different states and then you know the corresponding polling under that and how much the their electoral votes are worth and and you start to to really you know you have to you have to piece through all of this in order to get a clear sense of, of where things are at um and to me so the thing i'll be looking out for on november 3rd um is well first of all because of so much mail-in voting happening certain states have rules where they can't even begin to count the mail-in ballots until election day and so there are some states where we're not going to know exactly what the case was uh, for several days or a week later. Uh, Florida is not one of those. Uh, Florida has, because there's a lot of old people there, a lot of them have voted by mail absentee for, for a long time and they have a good apparatus for handling that. Um, and they're gonna be able to report their results in real time on the evening of November 3rd. And basically if Biden wins Florida, there isn't really a scenario in this whole electoral college puzzle uh, where Trump can win. And so I'll be watching that. Uh, if Trump wins Florida, it's, it doesn't mean a whole lot in terms of Biden's odds. Uh, it's very close to 50-50 with, with Biden just a bit ahead right now. Um, but I think it'll add a lot of confusion. And then there's potential for monkeying around with results. Um, so to me, you know, I'll be watching Florida closely. I would be watching Arizona because just the way the puzzle works, Arizona is another one of those states that's very close uh, in terms of the actual you know, the, the, the polling right now, and in terms of it being a linchpin for, for Trump to get to 270. Um, the problem with Arizona is it's way out west, and I, I'm going to want to be asleep before they start reporting anything. So I'll worry about them in the morning. Um, but, you know, this is sort of how you have to think through it. It's not just looking at, at you know, how many votes did, did Biden get? How many votes did Trump get? The system is stupid. I hate it. Um, it is what it is. Uh, it advantages uh you know more rural uh remote places uh over the majority of people uh you know the people of california there's 40 million people in california <laughs> and and their votes essentially don't matter uh, for president uh because it's more or less a done deal um and, and you know there's there's a fundamental unfairness to it but it's the system as it is and and that's what you got to work in unless you want to you know pass a constitutional amendment, which is near impossible, especially since you need three quarters of the states to sign off on it, and a whole lot of states would be disempowered by doing that. Uh, and it's one of several things about our system that I consider undemocratic and unfair. Um, and that's that's a subject for lengthy debate, but it, it's where we are. So if we look at the, you just mentioned some of the, you know, I guess the odds of, of Biden versus Trump, and if you look at 538, which is, for those of you who don't know, this website has got loads of polling uh, conclusions and information on it. It's quite famous for this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And they're saying that uh, Biden is favored to win the election, uh, that most most scenarios give, give Biden a win. They're also saying that it looks as if the Democrats could also win the Senate, and possibly the Senate, and likely so the, the House which would be, you know, uh, a, a pretty big deal. And they're identifying the, the closest races, Ohio, Georgia, Iowa, North Carolina, Texas, Arizona, as you mentioned, Florida, as you mentioned, and also Pennsylvania mm -hmm. and Alaska, I think. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, you know, last with, you know, with, 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 Clint, with, with Hillary Clinton, it was, you know, it was within poll, it was margin of error. Uh, you know, between mm -hmm. between her and Trump, and you know, if this if this information is correct and the polling data is accurate, 
then it does look, you know, much more likely that that Biden will win. Although it doesn't mean he will win. I mean, there are scenarios where where Trump could win. I think one of the things I still just find amazing yes. to me is the extent to which Trump is able to, you know, generate any kind of support at all. I mean, and and, and I'm kind of surprised, you know, often with various politicians, you know, in this country as well to that extent. But I just, I, it really does shock me. I mean, this the, the, just the odiousness of this of this individual and. And also the you know the callousness you know that he demonstrates time and time and time again, uh, I, I'm just amazed that he's able to get any kind of support at all. And I think that's that that speaks a lot. I'm guessing to the the partisan nature of American politics. You know, you're really in one tribe or, or another, and yeah, you know, that raises the the point of you know the Republicans that you meet who are having to deal with you know the fallout of Trump. But obviously they're still Republicans, and you know I get that. You know yeah. they're Republican, and you know they you know. That you know, it's not as if they want they they've all of a sudden changed their political ideology, but the idea that you could still somehow be complicit with this guy, I find really hard to to understand. You know, I, I worry about it in, in sort of a greater humanity perspective, which is just it's it's proof that these people who are these leaders who are deeply flawed um, can have quite amazing appeal to large segments of people. Um, and then even beyond that, there are many people who will just go along because it's far easier to go along. Um, and that's a common phenomena, right? I, I think it's the people that are act that are that aren't just going along with it, right? I mean, it's the people that are actively choosing to. I and mean, you look, I mean, if you're thinking about the various you know people that have come in and out of his administration, or even you know the you know the vice president, I mean, to me, there's a there there's there's a level of. Uh, I, Okay, I'm going to do a, a kind of ridiculous pop culture reference here, but you know who's more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? To quote Obi Wan Kenobi, <laughs> uh, and and I and I'm yes, I mean, yes. that's accurate, right? I mean, is is Trump the real fool, or is, are all the people who are actively following him and choosing to defend this guy? Yeah, and that's that's what's disturbing to me is that that that, that the possibility of that, um, and the possibility. I mean, in some ways, I feel lucky that it was him. And not somebody who was a little slicker and more competent. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. You know, I feel like in some ways we've dodged a bullet with that. Um, and if, if and when you know the slicker, more competent version comes up, at least people will be able to say this is just like Trump. You know, and 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 that that can be a shorthand for something that wouldn't exist otherwise. Um, and you know, so in those ways, like, I I I, I do feel lucky that it, it was him and not somebody else. Well, except, you know, you, you say dodge a bullet. I mean, over 200,000 people are dead in the United States because of, co you know, because of COVID. And, uh, and I think a large part, a large number of that is because of the failure of the federal government and him. I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree at all. Um, but when I look at the position that we are in, um, I'm not saying that we dodged a bullet by, by electing him versus somebody else. I, I just mean that it yeah. really genuinely could be a lot worse. Um, yeah, that's true. It always could be. And actually, I think what you're saying is, is I, I, I actually, I, you know, I do agree with what you're saying and that, you know, in a way I, I see Trump as sort of like another McCarthy, mm -hmm. right? That things were getting, you know, they get so bad and they get so bad and we're, you know, we're prepared to kind of go along with it because we're, you know, I've got other interests that are winning out here so long as, you know, we're, we're playing your game. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of reaches a, a tipping point. It's like, actually, no, we've gone too far. And I mean, and, and, and I think, you know, I think you're right. I think, oh, I hope you're right, I should say. Yeah, <laughs> I hope I'm right. 
Um, but I, you know, I do believe I compare the United States often to, to Latin America more than I do to Western Europe, um, both in terms of political structure and, and culturally. Um, you know, it was founded by a similar group of sort of Caudillo landowners. Um, it's got a higher levels of sort of belief in faith um, and, and superstition. And, it, you know, it, it looks, the United States to me looks much more like Latin America than it does like a lot of other places. And the political systems, I mean, presidential democracies are, are found across Latin America in the same way they are here. Um, and so I look at that and I say, well, geez, we could very easily end up with a Pinochet kind of, kind of figure. Um, and, and there are people who have expressed that sentiment saying, we wish we had a Pinochet here. I mean, I've heard that literally. Um, and, and so, but, I, but wow. there is something about our, our institutions here that just, just a bit with things quite as readily. The military isn't quite in the pocket of the civilian leadership in the way that it is in Latin America. Um, there are enough people who, who, who have sort of a, a fundamental belief in the system above the individual um, and, you know, the system of government, the, the, the sort of larger truth of what America is. Whereas, you know, I think that that wasn't the case in, 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 in many places in Latin America. Um, the truth was what was right in front of you right then. And yeah. And so, you know, I do think that those are the things that make us different from that. But there are many things that make us very similar. Um, and this is all my speculation. You know, the thing about all of this, we're recording this podcast on the 17th of October. You know, uh, it's either going to look completely foolish and naive or, or it's going to it's going to comport with, you know, what I hope it does. And it's we just don't know. We can't know. Yeah. I think one of the things you mentioned there about Pinochet brings up I get one of the, the, the one of the third point or third third question I had based on you know your opening mm. uh, opening statement about violence and I'm just going to mention before we move on to that uh, because I, I won't be able to edit this out there's been some cognitivity issues in today's podcast so I apologize uh, but I, I think the, the, they've been pretty minor so I, I think editing that would actually make uh, will stilt the conversation more so than leaving them in but you mentioned violence the sphere of violence. And I wonder if you could, I wonder if you could say a little bit more about that. About violence. Well, well, the fear of violence and, you know, you know, you're speaking about, you know, these demographics of, you know, gun owning America, you know, right wing, uh, you know, gun owning Americans who, for whatever reason, may well, you know, use their arms, uh, their weapons, I should say, should, you know, Trump lose and, uh, uh, you know, is this a genuine, you know, where, where are you getting this? I mean, is this a, a I mean, it's obviously a genuine concern, but you know, where is it coming from? And well, uh, you know, what, what's the background here? So, okay. Um, I think it's useful to compare the sort of quotient of violence uh, potential here in the United States to the quotient of violence potential in Latin America. Um, you know, the, the traditional belief is that, you know, Max Weber government has a monopoly on violence by definition, right? Not the case here, <laughs> um, and uh, but you, you could say that in Latin America, it's basically true, right? The police can 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 put violence on people. The military can can enact violence on people in ways that that people in the street can't. Um, but in a way, because it's sort of more diffuse, and because there's it's just just fragmented in, in terms of where the sources of violence can come from. Um, it's hard to imagine a, a sort of a large front coming together and storming cities and deciding that, you know, 
the election was unfair and, and, and we're gonna we're gonna go find all the students and throw them out of airplanes or what have you uh, in the same way that, that, that you would have you know if this was actually organized under the police under the military uh, it's not to say that there there won't be violence or that there isn't violence there will be um, but it's going to be violence you know with, with a whole lot of other opposing forces um, that I think is isn't necessarily present or wasn't, hasn't been in the 80s, you know, and 70s in Latin America. Um, and so that's all I can say. I mean, yes, you know, there's going to be, you know, we just had this this militia up in rural Michigan deciding they wanted to kidnap the governor, you know, and they, they went and they had this uh, a whole plan to do it. They staked out her house, you know, and then they talked about doing it in Virginia too. And uh, these guys were dead serious and they're trained and they have big guns. Um, and they got caught. And it's not to say that they won't always that they, that that they won't get caught next time. I mean, I don't know. Um, but the point is that, you know, it's these little isolated groups doing this stuff. Um, it's not even as organized as like, as ISIS or something like that, you know, which is basically, a, you know, a coterie of militias that go around uh, fighting over a big set of objectives. Um, and so I, you know, I don't see the potential for them to, to coalesce in, in, in a, in a systematic way. Um, I see the potential for them to cause a lot of problems and you know it may require that that the authorities are act more draconian towards them than they've been willing to do so far um, I mean, it's probably worth pointing out here that you know the type of violence we're talking about is you know the examples you're just giving these sort of militia so you know these sort of lone I suspect you know predominantly white males uh, yeah. you know with you know with NRA members I, I would venture a guess uh but there has been you know quite a lot of violence going on lately that's been you know uh, done by the state right i mean what's yes. been happening in 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 cities in you know uh, portland for example there has been um but again it, it follows the same pattern of it being in these sort of pockets and and not you know we, we don't have a i mean we do have a a national police in in the federal bureau of investigation um but in terms of how things are actually carried out, they're carried out in Portland by the Portland police. Uh, you know, they're carried out in Washington, DC by the Washington, DC police. Each one of those places has different cultures um, and, you know, different reporting structures. Um, and so it's not like there's this one body that that can come together and do and, 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 and act in a national way. I mean, um, yeah. it's again, you know, there, I, I lived in Portland actually a long time ago. And uh, the thing that struck me about that place was that the police was full of white supremacists. I lived in a black part of town in Portland, which was very rare and, you know, sort of a, a very strange thing. It's an extremely white part of the country. Um, and the degree of sort of harassment that they got from the police, who were, you know, rural white guys who came into the city to be policemen, um, was, was, was shocking to me coming from where I came from. And so I see how that all carries through in a place like Portland. Um, and I think it's I think it's worth pointing out here that you know we're, there's you know the the fear that I guess we're to we I guess both of us share here would be the the kind of violence that would be generated by you know you know right wing uh, as I said you know predominantly white males and you know doing so possibly against the you know against you mentioned elected officials but it could be towards other people right like what happened in Charlottesville mm -hmm. uh, but you know there's and I and I think one of the things that is often 
underrepresented in a lot of the national conversations is the extent to which groups like that pose a much greater threat than a lot of other you know politically active constituencies and what we've seen with trump and i guess with others has been the the idea that you know the you know antifa and the left are you know out and you know to get you and they're the ones that are going to pose a you know a violent threat they're the ones that are really going to attack and I think what, uh, you know, from my understanding, you know, I've got friends, uh, you know, I've got a friend in Portland and, uh, you know, I was paying a little bit of attention to what was going on there for, for a short period of time. And, you know, what I was hearing was, you know, the violence here is not coming from Antifa or, or if, that's, if that's how you pronounce it, or, you know, left-wing activists. It was largely coming from the, the state. Yes. Right. And it was, you know, and especially the, you know, these, this fed, these, the feds that were being sent in and were either making things worse or were just taking people off the streets and doing things, you know, like you would have had, like people in, you know, would have experienced in, in Chile under, under Pinochet. Yes. Yeah. And it's, uh, and, and, you know, Chile under Pinochet, it, it, it's easy from our perspective to forget this, but there was, there was left-wing violence. Um, there were bombings, you know, by, by sort of fringy left-wing groups. And that gave, mm. that gave the military, that gave the police tremendous justification for doing what they did. And they went far mm. beyond what they needed to do to solve the problem, you know, in, in a small sense. And to the extent that, you know, the, the left-wing protesters in Portland and Seattle have, I don't know, uh, lit a trash can on fire or something, you know, that's given all the justification these guys have needed to to do some very draconian things. Um, and so you see just yeah. the imbalance of it, you know? Um, but I guess the, 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 I guess the question that I have is the, you know, to how far is, you know, are, how far is what's happening in, you know, what happened in Portland, Seattle and, and elsewhere, you know, how far is that going to shape the election, right? How many people are actually seeing this going, mm-hmm. oh my God, you know, look what's happening. The country left wing is out of, you know, socialists are out of control. We need to get Trump back in there. He's going to, well, you know, put these people back where they belong. That's certainly what, that, that's certainly the idea behind the messaging, right? Um, look, at, yeah. look at how violent the cities are and how dangerous it is. And obviously they're out of control and we need somebody to come down and lay down the law, right? That's, that's the essential argument. Um, and you know, I, I get this feeling like it's like, it's just not working like it could work or like, it, maybe you know, I think even like in the nineties, it would have worked in a way that, that it doesn't now, you know, I, I going back to the sort of crime wave of the early nineties and the fear that people had of cities then, and, and the willingness to, to really take very violent approaches to pacifying cities. Um, well, New, New York and Giuliani, right. right. As a prime example. Sure. Uh, LA was similar. Uh, Washington DC was similar. Uh, I, I grew up in what was known then as the murder capital of the world. Um, Great. Okay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, it, it, the, the tendency for people to, to just say, oh, well, it's those people and, and, and we, you know, they're not us and we can go in there and just, just kick their asses and be done with it. Um, I think it's gotten a lot more complicated now. I think there's just a, a far greater variety of people um, and, you know, coming to some sort of a consensus that we need to essentially have a, a, a national um, policy of violence towards these elements that we consider threatening. It just doesn't, I, I just, I can't see it coalescing in the same way that the revulsion that people have to the crime bill that was passed that Biden was a big part of actually, and has had to somewhat yeah, disavow. Yeah. Um, you know, speaks to that, I think. Um, and, and so there are people who will always see cities as violent places. I mean, I, I lived in Atlanta 
and the, and I lived in the city of Atlanta. Uh, whereas when when you say I'm from Atlanta or I live in Atlanta, most people say, "Oh, you live in Marietta, you live, you know," and all these sort of large affluent suburbs. Um, and so when I would travel around the state and say, I, "I live in Atlanta," people were shocked. I mean, you live in Atlanta, white guy? What? You know, aren't you afraid? They said stuff like that, you know. Um, and no, I wasn't. It never even occurred to me, uh, uh, you know. And I never had any trouble. With, and, and but that was, you know, th that is a mindset that is present among a lot of people. Um, to this day, it is very much so. But I think that it is less. There are fewer of those people proportionally than there were 20, 30 years ago, or going back further. Um, whether they still have well, the, so. the, the power that they had then, we'll see. We'll see. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think that's probably actually a good spot to to end. I mean, it's you know the, today's conversation. I mean, it seems up, you know, it's upbeat in a pretty downbeat, you know, general uh, moment in, in I think in history. Uh, and you know, we'll have. Well, I'm sure we'll revisit the election after you know after it happens, and you know, yeah. <laughs> see if see if the polls seem to actually be correct, and you know, Biden will win. And you know, if he doesn't, well, you know. Uh, there's a, there's a house for sale down my street. So, you know, yeah. keep, uh, I mean, it's a bit nuts over here too, but, um, yeah, you know, there are, there are options around. It's a, yeah, it's, it's, at least it's not my nuts. You know, it, it's hard when it's your own, I think that, uh, yeah, yeah, it's true. And, you know, that's one of the things for me with, you know, what happened, uh, with, with Brexit, why it was just so difficult was, you know, I, I was at a point where I was, really trying to get more active, you know, more in, in the, in the communities here, yeah. especially with, you know, po politics and then that happened. And then, you know, I was like, I'm done, you know, it was sort of like the, finally the attempt to try to actually get more connected and it just blew up. I felt like it just blew up in my face. Uh, but, um, all I can say is you know, today, October 17th, I'm not, I'm not ready to give up on America <laughs> for all of its faults. All right. Uh, I'm just not. Okay. And that's our third opinion. It is. It is. We made it. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks very much, everybody. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll do this again. I'm not sure what our next what next podcast will be on, but uh, there will be at least three opinions. Until next time. Awesome. Bye, everybody.